The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the New Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The New Concordia Commentary on John 7, 2 to 1250. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. It's a little bit of Psalm 139, one of the imprecatory psalms. How do we deal with that? I hate them with a perfect hatred. It doesn't sound like a very Christian thing to say, especially not a very Christian thing to pray. Joining us to talk about the imprecatory psalms on this Tuesday, January the 24th, Dr. Jeffrey Boyle. He's assistant professor of pastoral ministry and missions at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana author of the forthcoming Concordia Commentary on Psalms 51 through 100, and a recent column for the Concordia Theological Quarterly titled The Imprecatory Psalms as a Means of Mercy and Wellness. Dr. Boyle, welcome. Thanks, Todd. It's good to be with you. What are the Imprecatory Psalms? The Imprecatory Psalms are particular psalms or prayers that call out to God, I call them the go get em God Psalms. They're asking God to come and to bring justice, to set the world right, to take care especially of the enemies of God. What's wrong with the common pastoral response to a parishioner suffering to simply say something like, well, this is just the result of living in a fallen sinful world. God really did not have any part in this. So, this came about early on in my ministry. I started to realize that there was particular suffering that some of my members in particular went through that I know is, is common to many, even in its unique circumstance. And to say that whatever the major total obstacle is that they're facing, whatever uh, hardship, to say that God has nothing to do with it, then sets sin or this fallen world as though it were its own God. And that our God, powerful and, and mighty as he is, is nowhere to be found. And so I think part of the issue here of trying to comfort someone by getting God off the hook is that we are taking away the only true God that is there for our members and for we ourselves, particularly in our suffering. Is a Christian permitted to be angry with God? Yeah, so, yes. That doesn't make it good or right, but we are. And we are angry with God specifically when we know that God has promised to be good, gracious, merciful, to be with me, and particularly in my suffering. And when it appears as though he's not when it seems like I don't get what I've been praying for desperately, when something that I love, someone that I love, is taken from me, then 
I ought to be directing all of this despair, this fear, this anger to God and not to some other power as though that were God. So can we be angry with God? Yes, we are angry. These are these are real emotions that we feel. Should we? No, we shouldn't be angry with anyone. And in fact, it strikes me that the only one who has a, a right to be angry is our Lord Jesus. And at the height of really the injustice being done to him, he's not. And yet he turns and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so I think I don't have in myself a right to be angry, but I do know that the reality of my sin is such that I, I am angry. And if I can't take that anger to my Lord, if I can't call upon him in every trouble and learn then to pray, praise, and give thanks, then I'm afraid of what that anger might do to me and to others. Let's go through some kind of emblematic imprecatory psalms, these psalms of divine vengeance, beginning with Psalm 139. The nice thing about Psalm 139 is it's it's well-loved and well-known. This is a psalm that we think of especially for the defense and the confession for the life of the unborn. When we say, O oh Lord, you've searched me and known me, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, there's the sense in which God is always with us. He knows my beginning, he knows my end, and everything in between. So again, right off the bat, this psalm is a psalm that confesses God to be everywhere and everywhere for me. And as we're walking through, there is this call for God to search out. So in verse 3, it says, You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. It's beautiful that happens to actually match the ending of this psalm. If you take a look at verse 23, again, it's now a call to God to search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So this psalm, beginning to end, is a recognition that God does know all things, and now we're asking him to know me and know all things in me. Already we've confessed in this psalm that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit us together in our mother's wombs. There's this great praise. So this is a well-loved psalm. The problem is, specifically, the last few verses there's a, a shift that takes place. So when you're at verse 17, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. And then, if you're not paying attention, it's like there is a massive shift between verses 18 and 19. Because 19 then goes, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. And then here it is. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? 
And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. That certainly introduces a shift in tone from what otherwise was a fairly beautiful and, and poetic psalm of God's compassionate presence with his people. And it takes a big turn there. So the question is, can we pray that? Can we pray a psalm of vengeance, a psalm requiring God's justice, a psalm of really violence against the enemies? And I think this psalm helps us to understand how that might be. If I could start just by looking at those few verses of imprecation, there are words that trouble us. We have words of, of violence, certainly slay the wicked, O God. We have words of recognizing the intent of our enemies. They've got malicious intent. And your enemies. So this locates that the enemy is God's enemy. And this is going to be important for understanding this. God's enemy, then, is hated. Again, a, a word that is very strong. God's enemy is hated by the psalmist. Do I not hate those that hate you, O Lord? Now, we could step back and say, well, of course, all Christians very easily can hate the enemies of God, and, and we immediately jump into a spiritual realm of the demons. All Christians hate the demons. But this seems to be a bit more personal, human. And already from the get-go of this psalm, as with actually many of the psalms of imprecation, it is a psalm of David. And we start realizing right from the get-go that David hates the enemies of God. And David hates them in a very real and personal way because they're also his enemies. But they're not his enemies merely personally. They're his enemies because the enemies hate David as king. And they hate David as king because of the son of David. And so they are ultimately enemies of the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that's what launches this and ultimately all of the imprecations, these imprecatory psalms, to be prayed by his people. Another imprecatory psalm is Psalm 137. What does it say? <laughs> That's the one that you won't find in any hymnal. Psalm 137 is perhaps the most gruesome and grotesque of the calls for God to act in this imprecatory way. That comes especially because, well, in the last few verses again, but this psalm is a psalm of, of mourning, of lamentation, of being by the, the waters of Babylon there in, in this exile, away from home, away from people, away from the established promised land and the temple that God had promised to dwell in and the cutting off of their sacrifices. And now here they are apart from where God has promised to be for them and their enemies are saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion as though, look, there's nothing wrong. Just go on and, and sing your happy tune. The psalmist says, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And then there's this 
call into the self, how can I forget you? How can I forget what you've done and all the blessings and benefits to me? Verse 7, then, is where this comes in. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. You can almost understand why you don't hear that chanted too often in church. There's a, a very strong, visceral judgment. And yet, this psalm, again, located with the enemy of Edom and Babylon, shows us that it is not just for exiles in Babylon, but for all those who are assaulted by the enemies of God, the Edomites who would not allow Israel to pass through, Babylon that came in and destroyed their temple and tore down the location of God's presence among his people. This is for us then, and all of those who are found cut off from the blessings of God by this unjust enemy. And this is our prayer. Dr. Jeffrey Boyle is our guest. We're talking about the precatory Psalms. When we come back, he says that Psalm 109 approximates a prayer for biblical karma. We'll find out what that means next. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. IssuesETC.org slash 2023 nominations. Since 1973, pro-life advocates have been gathering annually in Washington, D.C. to march for unborn life. And since the overturning of Roe v. Wade last year, this movement has taken on new direction and new focus. To learn more, pick up your copy of the January issue of The Lutheran Witness, titled Life After Roe, and learn more about what the pro-life movement is now doing to stand up for life. Visit cph.org witness or witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Trinity Lutheran Church in Valonia, Indiana, is a mighty fortress that stands as a bulwark against the attacks of the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. We are located in Jackson County, about two miles south of historic Fort Valonia on State Road 135. Join us every Lord's Day for Sunday school and Bible class at 8.30 and divine service at 9.30. Come and receive the gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation from God's valiant one, Jesus Christ, who has conquered death and holds the field forever. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and lay people worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy promotes confessional Lutheran theology through conferences, scholarly exchanges, and publications like Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up for their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com Theology for blue-collar, white-collar, and clerical-collar 
You're listening to Issues Etc. Is it hard? Yes. Will it challenge you? Absolutely. Is it a blessing from God for you and those you will serve without question? Dr. Lawrence Rast, President of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. The pastoral ministry is all of these things, and that's why Concordia Theological Seminary exists to form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Men from all over the world with a variety of unique backgrounds come to our campus to receive faithful training that will equip them for the challenging but blessed work of serving as pastors in Christ's church. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Christ-Centered Worship Confessional Theology Lutheran Community, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. In Precatory Psalms is our topic. Dr. Jeffrey Boyle is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. Your link to issues, etc. It's National Lutheran Schools Week this week. Lutheran Church Missouri Synod congregations operate more than 750 elementary schools and more than 1,100 early childhood centers and preschools. Find a Lutheran school near you. Just visit lcms.org schools, lcms.org schools. Dr. Boyle, you say that Psalm 109 approximates a prayer for biblical karma. What do you mean by that? That is, you get what you give, in a way. This particular psalm is actually cited in the New Testament as well, and it is a psalm that recognizes the catastrophe that's been brought about by the enemies of God. It is a prayer that God would give to them what they deserve. You hear similarly in St. Paul's letter to the Romans where he gives them over to their desires. In that way, Burger King's old slogan, have it your way, may be the greatest judgment and curse of all. Psalm 109 says, appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. And right there you hear, this is about Judas. This is what St. Peter quotes in Acts about letting another take his office, someone else stepping in where he has left off. And so we ought to read this psalm as a psalm of the enemy against the Christ. What do we find in the trio of Psalms 57, 58, and 59? This is one of those fascinating areas of the imprecatory psalms because you have to pay attention to the superscriptions. Many of the psalms have these little titles, superscriptions. In our English Bibles, it tends to be a smaller font and all small caps and gives us some of the directions about the psalm, whether it's a psalm of David or a psalm that is for the choir master, sung to the tune of the dove of far-off terebinths. There are often, with these superscriptions, directions. And by these directions, we're to rightly understand the psalms. Now, Psalms 57 58 and 59 each have a superscription that, while different one from the other, has a common thread. Listen to these. Psalm 57 begins, 
to the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Psalm 58, to the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David. Psalm 59, to the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. These three, of course, all of David, a miktam to the choir master, but then they have that phrase, according to do not destroy. And you start to wonder, well, what does that mean? Is do not destroy simply a tune that everyone knows, or is there some other context in which we might understand that? And that's where it helps that this tells us, for instance, in Psalm 57, when he fled from Saul in the cave. And there in the cave, we see the persecution of Saul against David. And in the cave, what does David do? Does he, even though his men have said, look, God has given him into your hand, does David destroy him? No. It's when he cuts off the little corner of his robe so that when Saul's done relieving himself and he goes out, David can then call to him and show him evidence that he has not destroyed him. And then same with at the end, Psalm 59, we get this, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. That's when in 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 9, David says to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? That is to say that these psalms arise out of this sequence of persecutions against David. And remember, David, yes, David is David, but he's also always more than David, not less, but he is the one through whom the son of David comes. So all enemies of David are enemies of the Christ, and enemies of this Christ are those against whom Psalms 57, 58, and 59 are directed. So for instance, in Psalm 58, O God, break the teeth in their mouths, tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Now that's tough. These are hard psalms. Don't be mistaken that they're hard and they require a great deal of theological strength. They require an understanding that they are prayers to God for God to take vengeance and that we in our suffering with enemies before us and behind us entrust them to our Lord that he would bring his justice forth. You started to answer this a few minutes ago but can Christians pray these psalms? Yeah that's a question that I started to wrestle with when I realized you don't find these psalms in our prayer books, in our hymnals. And it's not just, not just us. 
uh, all over the place. And I started to do some digging and finding out that even in various monastic orders, they no longer require the monks to pray these psalms. Of course, it seems like, well, maybe that's because Jesus said, pray for your enemy. He said, love your enemy. And how is it, we think, that we could love our enemy while praying that the Lord would turn them into a snail and slither away, or that we would bask in the blood that drips from them? These seem to be contradictory statements. Even C.S. Lewis would say, there was a time where it may have been proper for Israel under the Old Covenant to pray these prayers, but no longer for us Christians. Now, I think it's a little bit more carefully understood than that. And I can certainly understand that, because on the surface, it seems that they are contradictory. But when we can begin to see that these psalms are first and foremost the psalms of Christ, secondly, they are the psalms of David or those that give it its historical context. And then third, our Psalms, that's Dietrich Bonhoeffer's outline, by the way, of Christ prays, David prays, we pray. If Jesus prays these prayers, then what does that mean? And where are these prayers answered? And as you start to look into these Psalms and into the wrath or the vengeance of God, where is his justice brought forth? And where is God's enemy ultimately brought down and destroyed, but when the heel of the Christ crushes Satan's head on the cross? And if that's so, then what we're doing by praying these prayers is praying for God to be the God that he's promised to be through the death of his son, Jesus. And in that, looking to him in the face of suffering, persecution, injustice, whether from the world or our neighbors or just what seem to be the natural consequences of a fallen, sinful world in our flesh, we are entrusting all of it to our Lord the Crucified, in whom he works his justice for us. You say that these imprecatory psalms are primary theology as opposed to secondary theology. What do you mean by that? Secondary theology is a way that we speak about talking about the thing. So secondary theology is what we do here at the seminary, where we have classes on the liturgy or classes about Hosea or whatever it may be. The primary theology is the doing of the theology. It is the enactment. So we might have a class on preaching, that's secondary theology, but preaching is primary. That's where the words of God are done. And what we at the seminary tend to do is talk about them. Neither is bad, but each has its proper place. And the reason for making this distinction here, especially in light of the imprecatory Psalms, is that when, as a pastor, you're dealing with a parishioner who is deeply suffering and angry with God, we're not going to sit them down and explain 
why it's not right for them to be angry, and why God has nothing to do with it, and why the sinful world, and run through a whole list of the effects of original sin and so forth, what we need to do with that person is pray. We need to bless them. We need to draw them into the very words that God has given us in these circumstances. This actually is the beauty of the Psalter. It is the book wherein it is the Word of God and the Word of man in an incredibly unique way, where God gives us the very words by which we are to call upon Him. And the Psalter then encompasses all of the life of the Christian, from our pure and unadulterated joy especially as the Psalms come to a close. It's praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But they include our despair, Psalm 88, our fear, Psalm 6, our, our confession, Psalm 32 and 51. Every emotion, situation, and context in which the Christian finds himself, he's given the very words to pray by God in the Psalter. So it's no different in our anger, in our fear especially of the enemy coming this is god's way of giving us a primary set of texts to pray and as a pastor to do so with our members dr jeffrey boyle is our guest we're talking about the imprecatory psalms we'll get some guidance on how we should pray these psalms after the break You can meet and hear journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, LCMS President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, and Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Oh Lord, open my lips. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific 
at issuesetc.org. Back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. Jeffrey Boyle is our guest. He's Assistant Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Missions at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And he's authored a column for the Concordia Theological Quarterly titled The Imprecatory Psalms as a Means of Mercy and Wellness. Dr. Boyle, give us some guidance on how we should pray these psalms. First, I think it's interesting and often a neglected fact that the Psalms, I mentioned their sort of uniqueness about being both God's Word and man's Word. But they're also given communally. They're given to Israel, not merely as the private prayers of individuals, nor do they even arrive and arise from the private prayers of individuals, but they arise from and are given to Israel, the people of God, as they come together in worship. So... I think one of the major ways in which we ought to restore the praying of the imprecatory psalms, and especially so, is in the communal gathering. Perhaps a church, a congregation, takes up these psalms in the midst of an attack against this particular place. Perhaps we take up these prayers in the midst of a what we find ourselves in, in many ways, a cultural persecution a conflict of ideology that is surrounding us, whether it's the very pro-death movement or, or the gender confusion that surrounds us or whatever we call wokeism today. These may be the right prayers for a community to gather around. Because in so doing, in the praying of these prayers, we're entrusting to our Lord the justice that he has promised and we are not taking that so-called justice into our hands and trying to bring it about ourselves. What are the healthy benefits of praying the imprecatory psalms? Well, by not taking the violence into your own hands and enacting justice yourself, it certainly helps your neighbor. You're not then going out to bring that justice as though you were the one to do so. On the other hand, it's also good for the way that we keep thinking pastorally here, these are good for me as pastor to then pray and guide my members into, especially in their suffering, to give them the words that God has already given them and to help reorder the very life that's fixated on this suffering that is pouring out in an anger. It allows their anger to be directed towards the one that can take it. And giving them words to cry out to God against their enemy, perceived or real, they are then reordered towards their God to see him again as the one that is over all and through all and in all, and who has promised to be gracious to them and merciful to them. Finally, individually, I think these are very good for us because as we pray them, we do entrust our greatest fears and angers and, and the things in this world that we don't know what to do. We don't have a solution to. We can't and of ourselves fix the problems that surround us. God, by these prayers, these psalms given to us, allows us a means to entrust them to him. 
which then helps relieve our anger. And again, prayer has this way of changing us, and I think that should not be forgotten. How do we recover the use of these psalms? Again, in the church, I think that's a primary way. We could recover them in our, in our hymnody. We do have hymns that are bearing some imprecatory voice. I think especially one of my favorites is A Little Flock, Fear Not the Foe, that 666, which is a great number for a prayer against the enemy, where there it says, Be of good cheer, your cause belongs to him who can avenge your wrongs. Leave it to him, our Lord. That leave it to him, our Lord, is what the imprecatory psalms are doing. Interestingly, these imprecatory psalms, they have been maybe more limited in our usage because they're, they're not in our hymnal. Nevertheless, we do have in our Lutheran hymnal tradition, especially hymns like Luther's, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. That originally said, Lord, keep us in thy word and work. Restrain the murderous Pope and Turk, who fain would tear from off thy throne Christ Jesus, thy beloved Son. Now, I don't imagine us singing that today, but maybe we could, in fact, have versifications of these psalms that are brought in for the church's communal prayer. Again, of course, I think by praying these psalms individually as we have a regular rhythm and habit of praying the psalms, while we may not feel the anger, and thank God for that, we may not feel the enemies breathing down our throats, thank God for that. We are nevertheless, in praying these psalms, even without the feeling of the enemy, praying for our brother and sister Christians throughout the world, perhaps those under direct persecution, perhaps under a more unique enemy that we don't even know. We are commending the whole body of Christ to her head, the Lord Jesus, by praying these psalms. What are we really asking God to do when we pray these psalms? Ultimately, we are asking God to be the God that he's promised to be. We're holding him to his word. We are looking to him to be the Almighty, the Merciful, the Crucified. And we are then entrusting all that we are into his gracious care and looking to him for his mercy. Finally, Dr. Boyle, you teach at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Why should a man consider studying for the vocation of pastor at CTSFW? Well, to do a lot of the primary theology of consoling and, and bringing the gospel to our members, to preach rightly, dividing law and gospel, and to do the primary work of the Word of God, we do need to know something about it, and we do need to be trained and how to use it. And the fact is that I've heard often that these imprecatory psalms have been so neglected we've not known even how to use them, let alone should we use them. The seminary is a place where that sort of question gets sorted out, where you're given the resources and the ability to then carry out the primary work. And that's what the seminary is. It's in service to 
the actual doing of the Word of God among his people in his church. Learn more about Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, or by calling 1-800-481-2155, forming servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Jeffrey Boyle is Assistant Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Missions at Concordia Theological Seminary. He is author of the forthcoming Concordia Commentary on Psalms 51 through 100, and a recent column for the Concordia Theological Quarterly titled, The Imprecatory Psalms as a Means of Mercy and Wellness. Dr. Boyle, thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss a 60 Minutes episode on medically unexplained miracles at France's Sanctuary of Our Lady of Lourdes. Our guest will be Terry Mattingly, and we'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, talking with Pastor Sean Denzer about the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, invites you to an open house from 1 to 3, Sunday afternoon, February 5th. Take a tour, visit with faculty and administration, and find out more about financial assistance and scholarships. For more information, visit the Facebook page for Metro East Lutheran High School or call 618-656-0043. Open house at Metro East Lutheran High School, Edwardsville, Illinois, Sunday afternoon, February 5th. Trinity Orchard Farm is settled between two rivers showing the way to the water of life. For worship that is reverent, relevant, and refreshing like pure water, or for excellent education in a unique setting, check out our church and school. We're just five miles north of Highway 370 on Highway 94 in St. Charles County. Visit us on the web at trinityorchardfarm.com. That's trinityorchardfarm.com. Our phone number is 636-250-3350.